this is, uh, you know, that negative thought you've been having, and uh, I just, uh, I just can't let you try and change yourself without a fight, so, uh, go ahead and just turn this show off, okay, and, um, uh, yeah, everything's still fine. This is Blindsight with your host, Bill Lundgren. We aren't holding back truth. We're here to help you heal and become the best you possible. Here's the chair. Here's the pillow. Here's Bill. Okay, good morning, America. Uh, this is Blindsight, a, a program of mental health and blindness, which is supported and, and sponsored by your Audio Information Network of Colorado. Welcome, and I'm Bill Lundgren, your host for this program. And today we're going to do something a little different in that uh, rather than a speaker or a guest, I want to offer some uh, ideas of situations that parents, particularly parents and, and partners, may get into and talk about what kind of options may be available. I have two case studies, and I and what I'll say to you, be absolutely clear, these are not specific people. These are kind of amalgams of situations uh, that I just want to use as an example that people may find bits and pieces apply to them. But it's also a way for me to introduce the idea that we, I need some help from you out there in, in uh, Internet land, uh, a podcast land, to give me some feedback, to tell me how you like the podcast, and also what kinds of uh, situations that you know about or want to know about uh, that we can possibly use on the air. The uh, crucial thing for you to understand is that all information I may get from you will be held strictly confidential. We, uh, I may have to alter some information in order to provide that confidentiality, but it's very important to me that your neighbors don't know what you're, what you're asking me for, your, for everybody's protection. So I'll tell you more about that at the end of the program. But I want to go to one uh, case that I think kind of covers a lot of areas that uh, I want to get across to people. And this is a situation about Joe, uh, who's a 24-year-old who had a major uh, mishap that resulted in brain injury. Uh, and the brain injury in, resulted in his blindness. And this is fairly recent. And uh, in this case, the, the father is concerned about uh, his son drinking. And his son is, uh, has been exhibiting a fair amount of drinking and a fair amount of aberrant behavior. And so the situation would be where a parent is coming to me or uh, to this broadcast and saying, what, what do I do? How do I intervene? Uh, how do I stop this? What do I do for this person? And there, there are a number of facets of this that I want to point out and, and mention to you. First off, uh, when you're working with a 24-year-old, 
or anyone under 26, you're working with someone whose brain has, has not fully developed yet. The latest research that we have shows that brain development uh, continues until around age 26, which is the reason that that age bracket that uh, between teenager and 26 is the frontal lobe, which has the the newest part of the brain developmentally, is where uh, the uh, review process of what's correct behavior and incorrect behavior. That is, if, if anything disturbs that frontal lobe, uh, such as alcohol, then uh, the connection between action and consequences is out the window, which may in fact be involved here because with brain injury, we find, depending on where the injury is, uh, the brain becomes extra sensitive to alcohol, the presence of alcohol. So the smaller amounts of alcohol can produce a much greater effect than it would be if there was no brain injury. So we have somebody who's already in trouble from the standpoint of the effect of alcohol on his brain. Uh, and also because he's younger, uh, all the connections may not be there to make rational uh, decisions. So that's for starters. The, uh, the other piece that uh, I, as a therapist, and have to pay attention to is the trauma of the brain injury and the blindness is a factor that has to be dealt with. A lot of time, well, let me put it this way. When someone who has an alcohol problem comes to me, I very rarely get someone who has just an alcohol problem. There are other things that are involved which have to be dealt with. In this case, we have the trauma of the brain injury. We have the effect of the, of the uh, alcohol on an injured brain. And we have the, the trauma of this uh, event. And the, also the self-esteem issues, the, uh, the grief that goes on when one has lost uh, a faculty, uh, in this case, uh, their sight, and maybe, and especially at that age, they're just starting out in the world trying to make their way in the world. You know, it's any number of blows that have occurred to the person in addition to what caused the injury, the emotional blows. So that as a therapist, then, I have to look at, uh, you know, the depression, grief, which are two different things, the grief for the loss of faculty, but perhaps the depression in terms of his self-esteem, uh, plus the brain injury, uh, making a uh, complicated package, but one that, you know, that can be dealt with if properly handled. Now, in this case, the father is asking, what do I do? Which brings me then to an important subject uh, in terms of how do you intervene with someone who uh, may be misusing alcohol and you know whether it's alcoholic or alcohol abuse uh, whichever 
you know, the we talk about alcoholism as the addiction, alcohol abuse is, you know, maybe in this case, uh, it's just simply unable to manage the alcohol. What are, what do the uh, a parent do? What does the family do? And there's a lot of resources out there that can help in this kind of situation for the the parents. Uh, what we call intervention. That is, there are people in uh, certainly in the Colorado area who specialize in intervention, where they can help the family figure out how to intervene in a situation like this. Uh, the the important thing certainly here is that it has to be done with love and kindness. I know that someone who's being very abusive, let's say under the influence of alcohol, you don't feel a lot of kind feeling towards that person. But that's one of the first things that you have to develop because you're what you're dealing with is someone who's not the person that you once knew. And but what you can do is to uh, talk to the person uh, to outline what you have observed of the person's behavior and do it in a matter-of-fact kind of way, not accusatory or anything like that, to say, okay, uh, when you, uh, you know, last Saturday you were drinking and this happened and this happened and this happened and it made it very difficult for me to be around you or whatever, but not yelling and screaming, which uh, a lot of people feel like needs to happen. So the an interventionist can help a whole family intervene with someone, particularly someone who's had a serious alcohol problem. Or you can decide, okay, I'm going to sit down with the person and I'm going to be very factual and also outlines a consequence, for example, you know, I can't be around you when you're drinking. But, you know, when you're not drinking, you know, I'm here for you and so forth. And that sometimes can be the right consequence. But there's also has to be a conclusion. For example, if you do your homework, if you were that parent uh, or that family member, doing the homework to find a program or a counselor that uh, would help a situation like this and then be able to say, look, I have the phone number of uh, John Doe, uh, who's a counselor. Uh, He seems to be the appropriate person for this situation. Uh, Would you see him or her? And encourage the person then not to feel like uh, they're being judged or or, uh, there's something wrong with them, per se, as a person, but to talk with someone about what's going on. And as I say, that person has to be able to deal with grief, depression, with the drinking and the interaction that's, that's going on, and with the understanding also of brain injury and the effects of brown brain injury in there. If the person were a true alcoholic, then the interventionist would be good to be involved because then the, an interventionist brings together the significant people in the person's life 
and you have a, have several meetings and come up with uh, basically what the individual family members are going to say to that person uh, at an intervention. And is everybody in agreement with the outcome that everybody wants? In other words, to go into treatment or to uh, what exactly it is so that the family and the interventionists are meeting with that person as a unified team. And that uh, can be a lot of work. But at the end, the, it, it does help to break down the defenses, that is, the, uh, the idea that uh, they're doing just fine, which is what every, uh, everyone in this situation is an alcoholic or a, is alcohol abusing. Really, their ability to understand what's going on is shown. And consequently, you have to break through that, help them to understand what they've been in denial about in terms of their behavior, and to agree then to go into some kind of treatment or to see a a therapist in order to change their behavior. And that's, in a nutshell, the kind of thing that, uh, you know, can be involved in helping someone with that kind of situation. And it's uh, it's very necessary because if the person's on that cycle and going, you know, they're not going to stop unless they get some help in understanding what can happen if they continue the way they are. And that's where the family becomes very important, but most, uh, most helpful, too, is to understand that Yelling and and uh, punishment and so forth is not going to work, or is most likely not to work, and certainly uh, creates a barrier between the parent and the son, and further helps the son feel less and less uh, secure or feel less uh, validated. So what you want to do is support the person, but not support the behavior. That's that's the separation that that parents need to understand. Uh, and the part that I would also with this, you know, with this individual, with the parent that uh, let's say came to me, I would also encourage the parents to get some counseling for themselves because. Seeing a beloved son uh, go blind and the kind of behavior that is exhibited, that's got to be have a tremendous impact on the parent. And they need some support in dealing with the trauma of having a a son uh, or daughter, whoever it happens to be, having go through this trauma and they have no control, that's uh, the, the parents need to get some help for themselves in that kind of a situation. So uh, I hope that that explanation uh, can give you some uh, sense of uh, what you may encounter or you may find other people uh, encounter. And one of the things that the 
AIN of Colorado is trying to do is develop resources for families. And you can always uh, check in uh, with us to see uh, who you might refer to if, if you were in this kind of a situation. Uh, and if you, frankly, if you see uh, someone that you think we ought to have on our resource, let us know. The counselor, whatever. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, at the end of this program. You're listening to Blindsight with Bill Lundgren. If you enjoy what you hear, please visit AINcolorado.org for more shows, news, and articles read by our amazing staff and volunteers. If you have a question for Bill or would like to recommend a guest for future shows, please visit AINcolorado.org slash podcast dash guest. Welcome to Blindsight. All right, the second situation is a marriage counseling situation uh, where uh, a couple uh, kind of falling out of love because one of the the husband has uh, diabetes and is losing his eyesight. And the wife tells him, you know, I don't know if I can stay in this marriage because nothing seems to be happening. It's just a deterioration. And he reports, I feel worthless. I feel like there's nothing I can do. Uh, My eyesight is going. I've lost my job. Uh, And I'm just sitting around the house. I don't know what to do because I'm, you know, uh, when you're blind, you're nothing, so that person would say. Now, that's a whole different different ball game, particularly when the marriage is breaking up or, or a threat of, of breaking up is, uh, you know, is happening. And, you know, the, the husband may be very dependent. The wife may be working and very dependent. And for... For the male sex, you know, we've been socialized to be the breadwinner, to be the uh, one that is the stoic, the John Wayne syndrome, as as, uh, we call it, where, you know, John, those who are old enough to remember John Wayne movies, he would ride off into the sunset with with uh, three bullets in his in his belly and not wince or give any sign of, of any emotion uh, and ride off to, in the sunset. That's the way we men were were taught. So when it, when a husband uh, becomes disabled, that just blows everything to smithereens, and some and the wife may have to uh, pick up the pieces. And it may be too much of a burden for the wife to or the partner to to handle, and they may get very frustrated and you know, want out of it, which further uh, increases the feeling that the uh, individual who's losing his sight is feeling of lower and lower self-esteem. What can I do? This feeling of of helplessness, helplessness again. Uh, if the person is able to uh, go seek counseling, 
you know, the counselor may, in fact, uh, well, certainly I would recommend uh, couples counseling to help each member of the party to talk about what's going on. It's in, one of the reasons I chose in, in giving this case study is uh, the husband is the one who uh, is, is losing his sight, partially because in that case, it's the wife tend to, tend to stay with the marriage. If it's the wife that's losing her sight, uh, or if the wife is an alcoholic, for example, the husband is most likely to leave, to drop drop the marriage. That's a, kind of a minus part on, on us as males that we tend to, uh, you know, say, well, she's not going to be there for me. I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, but the wife does tend to stay. And again, uh, you know, for the wife to make that decision uh, can be a momentous one in which she may need to, uh, she and they need to talk about, okay, what are we doing? How can can I help my husband develop more self-esteem? What does he need to do? Uh, and the, the, the problem is, uh, again, as many uh, people who are blind know, uh, unemployment amongst uh, those who vision impaired is very high. It's about one-third is the statistics that I've seen of uh, blind people are employed. And I might add that a vast majority of those, in fact, have uh, are, are skilled in Braille. That's uh, distinguishing because that does help them to become more uh, employable. Now, I have to say, uh, I learned Braille myself, but I don't use it at all, uh, preferring uh, audio to do the job for me. But, uh, you know, that's the statistics I have to point out. But for the husband, it becomes imperative that he is able to develop a sense of competency. And one of the ways that he can do that, one of the places that he can do that is certainly the training centers that are uh, throughout the country, uh, which are designed with, with adult program to teach newly blind people uh, job skills, uh, basic skills. Uh, you know, that's how I came to, to Denver because I, you know, my my vision was uh, deteriorating uh, as an adult, and I had a private practice and had suspended that for ten months. Came here to Denver to go through such a training program and learned that I could I could function and you know uh, you know cook and uh, you know do the things that needed to allow myself to continue my private practice and uh, to feel like, okay, I can do this. And it was very uh, a wonderful experience for me in terms of getting my self-esteem back. And so 
something like that can be very beneficial. The problem here can be uh, if if the wife has to, or this the partner, the spouse has to be able to uh, let go of the partner to return to independence, because sometimes in a uh, relationship, the person who's cited may kind of like that control that they have over the person who is uh, uh, blind or disabled in some way. And it's a very unconscious thing, but that's when they feel like they're in charge, and sometimes that can be very uh, uh, energizing. And they may say they don't like being in charge of the, of the family, but I've had experiences where I've worked with couples, and uh, in, in this case, uh, alcohol uh, had disabled the, uh, the husband. The wife, after he gets sober and starts able to take control of his life and his family, she leaves and she marries another alcoholic because she likes that kind of uh, control all un- unconscious, and unfortunately, that never came up, uh, you know, in our session together, and uh, so it was never identified, but that's something that, you know, is a reality that people have to pay attention to and be watchful of if you're going to make a uh, a marriage work. So those are, and, and, you know, in that case, then we're talking about the wife may need to get therapy, couples therapy, definitely, and also most likely be helpful to at least be getting some basic training on how to survive in, you know, a treatment center, of a folk rehab, uh, to help to be able to be independent within a marriage. And that's the, that can be you know, the healthiest thing for everybody. Again. Uh, the person who, uh, if the, particularly if the blindness was uh, traumatic, but I think in terms of helping the person who is losing their sight to understand that life is not over. And I'm sure most, many of you who are listening to this program know that. And it, if you think about how did you get that message that life wasn't over because you you know, because of blindness, and that's the message we have to get out to people. So those are just a couple of uh, instances where uh, someone may need to, or a family or partner, need to take a look at counseling as an option. And there are counselors out there. One of the things that we hear at uh, the AIN of Colorado is looking at, can we find uh, therapists, counselors who are familiar with working with people who are blind? And unfortunately, uh, you know, we haven't, we haven't done this successfully. That is, as a nation, uh, we've not been... Uh, paying attention to that kind of specialty because we haven't been asked for it. Uh, the I know as a 
therapist who lost his sight late and I would go to these workshops and conferences, I'd be the only blind counselor there. And I know that there are other blind people. So that's why I'm turning to you and saying, look, if you know of anyone, know any blind uh, counselors, tell them to contact us. So we can, we may be able to use them as guest speakers if they have a specialty. We may be able to at least have a, uh, uh, a, a list of those people in the area who are experienced in working with, with blind people because it is, you know, this is something that you ought to be asking for if you go to see a counselor. You know, is there experience in, in working with people who are blind? Not because we're some odd duck, but because they're, they're, they're as you know, there are certain aspects of life that is different for a blind person than for a sighted person. And it helps for a counselor to understand that and also to understand one of the first things that counselors need to understand when they meet someone who is blind, how important is the blindness in terms of the work that we need to do. If you have somebody who is well-adjusted to their blindness, then you can put that aside and work on whatever, you know, depression, whatever. If it's someone who's nearly blind, then you have to alter, you know, your treatment somewhat to be able to deal with the, uh, I'll call it trauma or the grief of the loss of eyesight in terms of, of re-entry into this decided world. So those are just two things I wanted to share with you. But what I think I also want to keep uh, reiterating that this program, the success of this podcast is going to be uh, helped a lot by you participating by sending us an email. Uh, if you like a program or don't like by uh, style or, or whatever, that's fine. Uh, I might be off in the corner crying hearing these criticisms, but that's not your problem. That's mine. Uh, the, all joking aside, if you have a criticism, we want to hear it. If you have something that you want us to focus on, love to hear it because that'll help us to put together the kind of podcast that will be helpful to uh, to all of you who spend the time listening. And with that, uh, I will sign off. Uh, Bill Lundgren uh, for Blind Sight and look forward to uh, talking with you again. <laughs>